Welcome back to another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you don't know by now, my name is Christopher Brown and I will be your host. Since the launch of the podcast last year, I've been asked the same thing. Why do you do this podcast? And I give everyone the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a discussion. Today, we find ourselves often becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of the conversation. So with that in mind, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people talking again. With no notes, no questions, I sit down with the subject to learn about them from them. Today's guest is no exception to that. Gareth McVicker is the coach and consultant and owner of the firm Spark. Gareth and I talk about the core fundamentals of Spark. Those are strengths, passion, authenticity, reflection, and knowing your own value. We dive deep into each of the fundamentals and how we can use them in everyday life. I also ask Gareth about how he stays true to each of those fundamentals. So with that in mind, and being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy cross-border interviews featuring Gareth McVicker. Thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciated on such short, short notice, too. My pleasure. I enjoy being able to talk about work and what I'm passionate about. And uh, certainly over time, have got to see in the news your and Ricardo story. So when you reached out and I figured out that you were the other half of Ricardo... Yeah. I was like, I try not to bring that up because I want people to come on for me. But then once people realize, oh, it's Chris Brown, then it's like, yeah. Well, which I did. And I loved very much seeing your story and how Rachel was officiating at your wedding. And I just love that. And I remember sitting there talking with coworkers and talking with friends about how much I love that. So I was like, yes, I absolutely want to go hang out with Chris. Why not? Well, I'm just new to Calgary. So the other reason for this is I want to make friends. Yep. <laughs> so if we absolutely. can become friends, I'd be even better. Absolutely. We've already bonded over our mutual love of furry Don't, creatures. There you go. My dogs introduced themselves before I got to, so thank they you. They did. So, uh, Gareth, thank you very much for doing this. Like I said, uh, the one reason I want to speak with you is uh, I find it interesting when uh, people start their own business, but also do it in a way that teaches other people. And that's what your business is all about. It's what what's the spark? That's right. So... Talk to me about what is the Spark. So what is the company about? So I think to talk about what Spark is, I need to back up a little bit. And so a few years ago, I had the chance to attend, or attend an event that Craig Kielberger was at. And there was a, a particular equation that he used that I remember. And it was Spark plus gift equals better world. And I remember that really just kind of sticking out. And at the time thinking, there's something really meaningful about that. And I think it was a good descriptor of how I really have always lived my life of thinking about what are the things that I'm doing? What are the impacts on other people? How can I use the things that I love doing and that I'm great at to help others? And so at about that same time, I was doing one of the coaching programs that I've done and really starting to think about what could spark or what could the business look like. I think the spark itself was something that I decided almost immediately and because I work predominantly in an environment where we use acronyms, I started thinking about what does spark mean to me. And so for me, spark is very much about strengths, passion, authenticity, reflection, and knowing your values. 
those for me tend to be the five things that really guide who I am, how I make sense of the world around me, where I choose to work, where I choose to volunteer, and what I wanted to do with Spark and that kind of is really that understanding that kind of launched it. And where Spark came from is I find a lot of times when you're engaged in conversations with folks, and it can be you know folks that are younger, folks that are our age, up through folks that are retiring and thinking about transition. And when you ask them questions like, what are you passionate about? What makes you happy? Those questions are such foreign concepts to people. The answers are such foreign concepts where I've really realized sort of irregardless of age that there's really that gap of people being able to identify and reflect on and really revisit the things that they're passionate about. I think of so many different people I've come across in my life who don't like getting up in the morning because they absolutely hate going to their place of employment. And I'm someone who very fortunately, and I think by design, I've always been in work environments where I'm excited to get up in the morning. I'm excited to engage with the people that I'm working with. I am excited to see people grow their confidence, to overcome hurdles that they're experiencing. One of the things I use a lot is Clifton Strengths, and that's a personality inventory. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more because I I read a little bit of I literally like I said I don't go into too much detail about the person because I want them to tell me. But when I read that, I I never heard of it. I want you to explain it to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so uh, you use your day to day skills that you bring from Spark to your day to day job as well. I would say it's probably the reverse of that. I oh, worked, really? I worked in post-secondary for, let's see, Spark I started four years ago, and I've worked in higher ed since around 2005, first as a TA at University of Winnipeg, then I went off to do my master's at Michigan State, and that really specializes in cognitive and psychosocial psychology, leadership theory, but my education is really working with adult learners, and so for the last or since 2008 I have worked at the University of Calgary and have the pleasure of working on our leadership programs with a ton of really awesome colleagues and it was really I think finding my way into that work and beginning to understand team dynamics and our team dynamics and personality inventories and it was really the combination of all those things that kind of brought me into um, Spark so I would say definitely my work life at U of C and then the skills that I'm using when I'm out consulting or doing things through Spark, they're very comparable. Um, But of course, in very different settings between working with students at the university, working maybe with a a company downtown or a not-for-profit or a theater. Um, But I would say that still all of that was really looking at um, people and their stories and their confidence, what makes them stand out, and really even just the the language or the confidence with which they talk about themselves. So are you able to adapt your programs for Sparks to the different audiences that you might need to uh, help? Because like you said, you do work with businesses downtown, nonprofit organizations, theater groups, student groups. Um, That's a lot of different uh, backgrounds that you'd have to try to adapt to programming for. So is Spark able to adapt? uh, Are you able to adapt your teachings to the group or do you adapt the group to your teachings? 
It's a good question. No one's ever actually asked it to me that way, so I appreciate that. I spend a lot of time when I'm going to be working with a group really trying to understand what is the reason that they are bringing me in. So is it just they want to do a fun team builder? Is it that there are... Um, you know, some negative culture aspects going on in the work environment. What is the age group of the folks that I'm working with? What are they going to resonate with? And so I approach each of them in a really individual way. There are certain things like using strengths or certain activities that um, I've developed as I've been doing Spark where it might be consistent across some of it, but I'm really looking at that unique aspect of the environment. Because I think myself as a learner, thinking about different courses I've taken or different, you know, workshops or PD things I've been to, sometimes you get that one size fits all and there's a time and a place for that and some really amazing learning that I've had coming out of that. But I really do like approaching it from that individual perspective. I think sometimes if I'm working, let's say, with you know, a group of youth um, sort of outside of my work at the university. And depending on what generation they are, they're much more used to talking about things like, um, you know, what they want to be involved in because it has to have meaning and it has to have a value set. And then I might be working with another group and sort of the last time they've thought about any of those phrases and especially values or leadership, it's been a while. So just sort of adjusting um, how I'm introducing topping or how I'm, topics or how I'm kind of connecting. So looking at, we'll go through a few age range here, but the, the students that you deal with, um, what would you say is the biggest obstacle that they have to overcome to properly be leaders in today's society? Because in today's society, and this is from my perspective, and I could be completely wrong, and I'm not trying to generalize, but today's society, I find that the younger generation, the generation younger than us, uh, they more want other people to do it, and then they will follow. That's my personal opinion. I'm not sure if you would agree with that, but what would you say is the biggest obstacle that they have to overcome to become the leaders of tomorrow? You know, I'd say that the students I work with both in the university and if I'm working with youth outside, I would say that I would actually disagree in the sense that a lot of them come in with a really solid idea of the type of change they want to create. Okay. And so whether that's a particular social cause, whether that is kind of really any number of things, they've thought about it, they've internalized it, they're talking about the things they want to do of why it matches their values, why it gives them meaning. And I would say that probably the thing that I see, um, you know, students that they need to work on is the particular things around first of all, focusing on what's right about themselves as opposed to always focusing on deficit. And we'll come back to that when we talk more about strengths. It is working in teams. And it's not that they haven't had experience. It's that a lot of time, no one has really given them the tools of how do you set up and function in an effective team environment. Many times in almost every single setting that I'm in, if I ask people how many of you have ever been in a group experience where you think, I'm just going to do it myself because it's the only way it's going to get done right. I've heard that from my head a few thousand times. <laughs> yeah, so that is a consistent one. And I think a lot of the root problem of that is as a society, we don't spend the time earlier in people's lives helping those develop the ability to have those conversations. So it might be looking at things like 
fewer folks that they work with that they might be challenged by? Do they understand where that challenge comes from? If they had a better understanding of what strengths that person was bringing into a team, um, would that change the way that they view it? And I think the other one is probably a certain degree of just dialoguing with people who have very different approaches to work, but also very different approaches or different ideologies about how do you, you don't have to agree with them, but how do you listen respectfully to someone? How do you ask questions to deeper understand something that you may not agree with at all? And I think a lot about, and this isn't just um, students, but all of us, I mean, all anyone needs to do is go on any form of social media at any point in the day to see people, you know, saying some fairly horrible things. And I think often that's where I see is that because we're not taught how to dialogue and that many of us shy away from conflict or difficult conversations, then the result of that at some point is people feeling like, they can kind of say whatever they want in whatever way they want to whoever they want. Do you think social media has corrupted our society? Saying that from someone who literally reached out to you on social media to set up this interview. <laughs> so it's interesting. I was born in 1980, so I'm right on the crux between Gen X and Millennial. There are many ways that I identify with Generation X. There are many other ways, probably because of a lot of my career, or identify with some of the Millennial traits. And I think sometimes social media actually I think more than sometimes often social media ends up creating the circumstances where everything is just typed it's set online I even think at the moment about actually no I probably shouldn't go down that but I was gonna I was gonna go into something about my um, how excited I am at the thought of Harry and Meghan being in Canada um, just based on my knowledge of and different conversations British expat being a British expat and understanding some of the real negativity that comes around comes with the British media but we're just gonna leave that alone because that would be a whole nother podcast unto itself oh yeah (laughs) but I think you know to answer your question I do think that social media can do a lot of good but I think also left unchecked I think it can cause a lot of negativity I think about for example being in school you know and I was always a pretty um, you know a kid who really liked academics and at certain points that was at a time that was basically like you know Gareth equals nerd which actually to be honest is a moniker that I embrace uh, wholeheartedly with superhero shows and okay, I was Disney say, and the whole the, like the nerds in my high school beat me up so I was below the nerds so I'm not even sure what they were but whatever they were that's where I was yeah no, so I just say I think about students today and all of the online bullying that can happen and all the multiple different platforms that can happen on so I think that's problematic and I think a lot of ways I think if social media had a lot more parameters that people were still able to express their views but it was almost a forced of doing it respectfully and I recognize the issue um, with what I just said but at the same time it's I think if it continues going the way that it's going then you're just going to see more and more people that either don't know how or don't want to engage in conversation in person I find that social media, and this is where this podcast has come into play, is 
ruined our society to the point where people are now emailing, talking in short form. The day of the 500-word email is gone. Now it's LOL, it's an emoji face, and people do this in work emails that I get, and I'm saying why. Because the conversation that we need to have, no one wants to have, right? No one wants to sit down and talk about things that are going wrong, things are going uh, positive, they just want to go along with their day. So I find that today's generation has that disadvantage when they want to be leaders where the older generations, the uh, quote unquote, okay boomers uh, are looking at them. Like I look at them and go, this is unacceptable for any business setting. So in teaching them what you teach them through Spark, are they getting it or are they becoming a, a society where that's the new norm. In 40 years from now, people will be talking in 140 characters. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, and if I think about students I've worked with at the university, if I think about, um, you know, youth that I've worked with when I've done productions at Storybook Theatre, because I also have a theatre background, I... I think a lot of times what they end up learning is how to meld the two. Because at the moment, I think society is really interesting because there are four, upwards of four, potentially more generations existing in a single um, workforce, basically. And so you have people that have very different, you know, right, like folks from our parents' generation where, you know, computers weren't there in the beginning or to where our students are now or just where society is in general and technology. So I think there are a lot of ways in which I've seen that meld like and they do understand about you know professional communication and they understand about different ways but I think it's a little bit of there's things that they need to adjust there's things that older generations need to adjust and it's definitely a fascinating topic but it's not an easy one to navigate and some of what I've done with Sparkle and not a lot has been looking about how do you honor the fact that you might have four generations in a workforce that have very different ideas. And I think that turns into conversations around, even though there's a lot of differences in the way that they approach it, um, I might try and angle it from, but what are the similarities of the reasons? And sometimes I try gate-weighing my way into that conversation that way. So we'll go back to an earlier uh, line that you said, but Spark is an anagram. Acronym. Acronym, sorry. Wow. That's okay. Wow, my mind. Like I said, this day has been just one of those days where everything's gone completely upside down. But it's an acronym. Yes. So let's talk about the two, four, five, which is one to make sure I got it right here. Mm-hmm. Five letters of s- spark. Spark. Because I was going to say start. I am just out of it today. I apologize. I'm usually on my A game, but today I got bad news and now I'm just sort of trying to cope so i apologize so no no problem at all spark so let's talk about the acronym that is spark absolutely so you said that you uh, you heard from ed i forget his last name uh, craig craig uh, kilberger he, so, he he's wee day isn't he yes he he's is. one of the brothers he's right? one of the brothers mark is the other one mark is the other one i knew that um so when you heard spark 
over or spark plus gift equals plus. better world. So you took that and you became spark consulting, teaching and consulting, uh, coaching and consulting, coaching and consulting. And it stands for strengths, passions, authen- authenticity, mm-hmm. reflection, and knowing. Knowing your values. Knowing your values. Yes. So let's start with strengths. Mm-hmm. What's your strengths? Before we go into why you chose that, strengths as S. So I'm going to answer that in two ways. <laughs> I like it. Because on the one hand, when someone asked me that question, now because of the amount that I work with Clifton Strengths, I know what those five are, but I would say that probably the ones that I would often use to describe myself in a more general sense are somebody that is a storyteller, somebody that really values uh, authenticity, somebody who is caring and empathetic, and somebody who is always not just trying to put myself in other people's shoes, but really understand um, them and some of the issues they might be facing and different things like that. I would say that another my strengths are really based around, again, how I can help other people. And then on the Gallup side of things, and it's uh, Gallup, which is a polling company out of yeah. the U.S., um, as a whole division that it uses uh, Jim Clifton's Clifton Strengths, or some people might know it as Clifton Strengths for Students, Strengths Finder, Strengths Quest, um, kind of different names, and. Those for me are individualization, positivity, adaptability, relator, and learner. So the strengths part of Spark is um, really focused on Gallup strengths. And it is a personality inventory, so it's similar in some ways to DISC, Insights, Myers-Briggs, True Colors. Those are a number of personality inventories that folks will probably be aware of. Um, Strengths is emerging at the moment as one of the most used inventories in the world. And there's some things about it that make it really unique, and we'll come back to that. But um, it really asks the question of what happens when each of us show up to our lives, our teams, our relationships, pretty much, you know, this our world, um, putting forward the things that make us stand out, that give us an edge, that make us unique, things that we're proud about, as opposed to always focusing on what don't I like about myself, what am I self-conscious about, who do other people expect me to be, or... What do, what do I need to fix about myself? And that comes out of a couple of different uh, angles, really. The one example I talk about a lot is if you think back to it's report card day, you're coming home from school, and, you know, was it sort of a celebration of all of the courses in which you were doing great, or was there some immediate, you know, why can't someone do better in this subject? Why'd you get a D in this and you got an A and everything else? Right. Like, you should have been straight A's or straight B's. Yeah. And same thing. And then, you know, back to what we're saying about social media, one of the very negative things about it is it says how people should look and how they should dress. And um, even if you think about, you know, and I will go back to Meghan Markle on this one, (laughs) the um, media in Britain dissecting every aspect of what she wears, how she talks. I read a really interesting, you know, I'm not going to go down no, and see Soapbox. I, I want to do this because I read an article that, uh, I think it was the Daily Mail, attacked Megan for holding her baby bump. And then yet, Kate, William's wife, did that, and not a thing. 
there's double standards there, right? There was. There was a really interesting article I had read recently, and I'm trying to remember which paper it came from, but it, um, it talked about how many of the things they say about Megan, like, you know, that she's really assertive or that she's driven or certain things about her appearance is coded racism. And that's something... And coded sexism as well, I would assume, mm-hmm. because uh, most men would never get that in the media. No. You never hear that about Piers Morgan. No. Exactly. So I think, you know, there's just a lot of those things where, again, that strengths perspective is um, we spend so much time focusing on what we want to be better at, what we want to change about ourselves, that we're not conditioned really to think about what are the things where we're, we stand out. You know, so, for example, you know, a question that I might ask somebody, and I'm going to put you on the spot as I say this, but, you know, Chris, what are things that you love about yourself? I like the, the fact that I can read a book within a day. I enjoy the fact that... Uh, shut up. God, what do I like about myself? I'm happy. Oh, I can't even say that. Because just with today's news, what do I like about myself? Wow, I don't know. See, and, and we'll keep exploring. We'll keep exploring that question a bit. But like, and that's exactly what I mean. Is it's such a weird question for me to ask people? Yeah. And you know, we kind of start them there, and then there's a sort of whole journey that you go down with strengths. So that's that part of it. Uh, passion for me is really about. Oh yeah, you, oh. you jumped into the P. We're not even done okay, with the we're not with the S, yeah. We're gonna go through all these letters here. Okay. But do you think, as a society and as individuals, we put too much? Uh, uh, thought on what other people think of us? Yes. I can. But isn't that what society has taught us? Mm-hmm. I think society has taught us the um, how do we see our value through other people? Who do you want to impress? Um, even thinking about when you're going through you know, junior and high school and all of the different cliques and what people think is cool and what they think. And so we're just presented with all of these messaging messages. And I talk a lot about how, you know, in my 20s, Right there. Like in all of that stuff. I was in the closet. Um, my anxiety and my depression were there, but I hadn't sort of learned how to deal with them yet. I spent so much of my 20s being concerned about what other people thought of me. And I've talked about my 30s, which I'm now almost at the tail end of, um, being such a different decade because it's very much like, sure, I want people to... Uh, like me, but I'm also so confident in who I am and what I bring that if somebody doesn't, then I just think it's their loss and kind of move on. But I think in the earlier part of people's lives, there's so much of that, you know, what do we need to do um, so that people like us? So I do think that's a problem. But at the same time, doesn't that make us stronger? Doesn't that make us stronger in that whole idea of strength is, you know what, I might might want to care about what other people think of me because I want to present myself in the best light that I possibly can. I don't want to be going around thinking I'm the per- best person and other people thinking I'm a complete asshole. So mm-hmm. don't you need to worry about what people think about you? You know, and it's a good question, and I would say to a certain extent, it's important to think about how we present ourselves, or in another way, what is the brand that, you know, when someone sees Chris or Gareth or other people, like, sort of, what is that brand and what are they bringing? And so I think there's definitely that part. I think... 
And so in looking at that and how they're presenting themselves is like, you know, do they love themselves? Are they happy with who they are? So I do think they're, you know, as a part of that, I think in general, like what people think of as is one thing where you just kind of get more confident but I would say through strengths it is very much that um, you learn to be more resilient you learn to trust yourself um, you really learn you know and put another way like what your power is that you're bringing to something I would say okay so now we will move on to P alright passions so first off I will ask the exact same thing I asked for S mm-hmm. what is your passion oh that would be so my passion can be uh, said in three things. First of all, Angus, my West Highland Terrier. Okay. Um, love him with all my heart. Did not know I could love something else that much. Uh, second of all, it is uh, my work. So one of the things that gets me out of bed in the morning uh, in whatever I'm doing uh, is getting to see people develop their confidence in themselves and getting them to see the aha moments, maybe for the first time reading a document or doing something where they're like, yeah, I am really great at. And then third one would be theater um all forms of it uh, musical theater um i've been full like musical theater glee disney like nerd all the way descendants um live action lion king like, so i'm assuming disney plus was downloaded the very first day it came out so no actually i have, i have not downloaded disney plus yet which most people react in that exact way when i tell them that um, we downloaded it for a day and they were like, okay, we're done. We can't do this anymore. We're going to sit here for the years. Um, so I will download it. Um, I'm also a mega Frozen fan, which I throw into this conversation because I think there's so many things. When I think about people's you know, strengths are coming into their own, I really think about, especially in the second one, the way that both Anna and Elsa come into their own stories. And there's certain things that are just lyric gold in some of that too about people really stepping into who they are. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I could go down on a full road on that. But with passions, it really comes down to, does someone understand, and this can be through a strengths lens or not, do they understand what they get excited by? Do they understand what they're passionate about? And can they make that part of their work, essentially? So are they waking up in the morning and going to something that they're really excited to do? Are they waking up in the morning and it's the opposite? And if it is that, what is that telling them about what they need to explore. I think you would have, you know, I'm sure there's people that would say, like, you don't have to be passionate about your work. And I would counter that with, but think how much more awesome it is to get up and do things like, you know, and I can tell by the way that you interview and ask questions about how much you love doing things like this, um, just like I do with my work. And so that's yeah. really where I approach the, the passion. Because we'll go back to that comment where people will say, I don't need to enjoy my job to go to it because honestly, it's just a paycheck. Because I find that people I talk to in all backgrounds, all different uh, job descriptions, uh, there will be people who really, really enjoy it, and then there will be those people who don't. And those people who don't, they will range from the people who have been there for a week to the people who are a week away from retirement. Mm-hmm. Do you think that if you are stuck in a job where you're not passionate about you should leave it? hard question because you don't want to seem like the asshole who tells someone to go quit their job for sure (laughs) i would say you know do i think that it's something they should leave immediately no unless we're talking about a toxic work environment then that's a different thing but i think it would be you know 
and this is definitely not me like specifically plugging my services but whether it's somebody like me or someone that's known them throughout their life or somebody that they can engage in a conversation with about strengths or read about things like that I think just starting to explore and I would say so definitely like not leaving right away but it's beginning to identify what is it in the environment that they're not liking that is not bringing them joy um, are there aspects of that that can be fixed or explored and if not what might be some of the other things they could look at doing okay so here's a perfect example for this and I want to know what your take on it would be someone enjoys their job a lot they enjoy what they do they do not enjoy the people they work with um that is their downside. They, they're excited to get up. They're excited to go to their work. They're excited to do their job. But the day-to-day interactions with the people around them is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that? Because they have the passion, but the passion's not there fully for the full experience of a job, right? Because mm-hmm. when they look at it, they enjoy what they do, but they don't enjoy who they are with. That's a great question. And I'm thinking about how I'm going to tackle that one. I would say you're right in that being passionate about what you do is one thing. Being in an environment that for whatever reason you don't like the people or is challenging, that does sort of create, you know, more of a conundrum. And I would say probably, so I guess the first thing I would say is I would wonder if it's an environment where they don't like the people, so maybe my first question would be, like, what is it about the folks that you work with that you don't like? Does it come from personality clashing? Does it come from different work styles? Again, you can see how my brain's working here. I mean, yeah, like, what are all I can honestly things? see you going through your head right now of what potential scenarios would be. Um, have they had team building? Have they had any conversations around that? Could doing a workshop where they're looking at things through much more of a who brings what strengths and who works best with who could that work maybe um but i would say for somebody that's in that setting it would be really clearly identifying what is it about the people they're working with or the environment that's really not sitting well with them and sometimes it's easier sometimes not but then it's figuring out what to do from that point okay um what's the biggest thing that you would ask someone about passion when you're sitting down with them in spark what's the one question that usually always comes up that you ask the person who, or the group that you're with. When was the last time you remember doing something that you completely lost yourself in? And why is that? Do you think that comes along with passion? If you get lost in what you're doing, you're doing, you're, you're passionate about what you're doing? I think it's a melt of both passion and the idea of talent. So jumping back to strengths for a second, it's the idea that we each have talents that are inherent to us and the more that we work on them or engage them, the more they turn into our strengths. And so if I'm looking at both the idea of passions and, you know, um, things that they've always been drawn to, things that they love doing, things they don't notice the passage of time in, I would say that those are all clues to it, I would say. We'll jump into A here. Authenticity. Mm-hmm. So, yet again, going to ask the start start the question. I just have to word it correctly because it's a weird question asking it. What what are you most authentic about? But what are you most authentic about? What what makes people think? You know what Gareth is who he is because he he wears himself on his sleeve. Sure. Um, and actually, you know, that for me now is a question that's really easy to answer. 
if this had even been a couple of years ago and I was still figuring some stuff out, maybe not. But my authenticity for me and the way I'm authentic is that um, the way that I present myself or the way that I'm cracking jokes or using humor or talking about what's important to me, you would get the same version of me here running into me in the grocery store, out walking my dog, um, out with friends for an evening in downtown Calgary. Um, and so everything that I present about myself is consistent. I Are you the same person? Because this is the one thing that most people will not be, is who they are in real life and who they are on social media are two different things. We and always want to show the best of who you are on social media. So do you? would you agree that you are the same person in real life as if I went to your Twitter page or your Instagram or your Facebook, looked through it, and I'd say, yep, yeah, that's the exact same person I sat down with? Identically. Really? Yeah. If you were on my social media, like Facebook, for example, you'd see tons of dogs, tons of Disney, <laughs> uh, tons of me writing my commentary on things that I'm interested in, that I'm flustered by, things like that. Um, pretty much everything I've talked about in the last while you would find in some form on there. But I think the reason for that is that it's so important for me. It's so important to me that especially my students that I'm working with see what that consistency looks like. As a teacher, um, and a lot of my work when I'm on campus is working in different classes around team building, and I make sure that my PowerPoints, the pictures I put in there, the life stories I tell about myself, the vulnerabilities that I put in there about myself, it's really important to me that I just get a really good sense right away of who Gareth is. I mean, generally, the... You know, the second slide in any presentation I give past um, and what I always do in the beginning is some form of land acknowledgement or talking about Indigenous circular learning because I've had the benefit of um, learning some of those really amazing pieces from elders. But like literally the first slide is a picture of me in my grad gown, a couple of pictures with my dog Angus um, doing therapy work at the Children's Hospital. Um, Elsa's in there, like there's all of these things. <laughs> so things that you enjoy. Things that I enjoy that have meaning. And then, you know, and I don't mind talking, you know, pretty much anywhere about like my being in the closet for 12 years and learning how to you know stuff things away that I didn't want to deal with or anxiety or depression and so I talk about all of that because it's really important um, for people you know young kids who might be in the closet to see somebody that is out and happy and successful because I didn't have that when I was a kid um, or people talking about anxiety or depression I had an amazing friend that destigmatized mental health for me and if I can do that for other people so everything for me in that is the authenticity that what you see with me is what you get do people come out of the authenticity part of the workshop looking at themselves thinking maybe I'm not living the, the, the life I should be or maybe I'm not living the life that represents who I am I think, I think sometimes, and I would say that that's not something I could answer definitively, but I do see a lot of people thinking about, and, and sometimes if I'm talking about authenticity, I may use the concept of brand of when they, like, you know, when they show up somewhere, what is sort of the thing that's presented about them or how do they present themselves? And I think it probably just sort of like, you know, it gives them food for thought. I wouldn't say it's, you know, sort of those life-changing moments, although it could be, but it's more of that just like, how am I showing up or what do people see or things like that? 
And why do we need to be our authentic self? Why can't we portray one person outside in the real world and then in our house? Because in the comfort of your own home, you're your own person, right? When you're with your family, you're with... uh, For me, there's about 12 different versions of Chris. There's the family Chris who gets... When they go back to Ontario, I'm that 13-year-old kid who was in the closet. When I'm back here in Calgary, I'm with my husband. I'm open. I'm okay with it. Um, Why do you... why would that be, in your opinion? Because I want to be the same person in Ontario, Calgary, and the general public up in North, up in Slave Lake. But to be authentic like that would be going against what society wants in some sense. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is self-care and I say that around that because you're very aware of the environments that you're in and I think you and I can probably both agree that as people who are very social justice oriented who will stand up for people that are being marginalized that sometimes existing in that sphere constantly it is choosing um, how much we step into and what we need to do for our own health as well and so for example Let's just say that there are are certain political things going on south of our border at the moment that I will almost avoid entirely now in conversation because I know that there are people who I can have these conversations with and do all of those great things that I talked about at the beginning of this and still not sort of get anywhere on that conversation. So I would say that I will make my opinion known, but then I will sort of leave it. So I would say for yourself, it could just be more of that self-care of knowing of how much more on are you going to have to be or how many more questions are you going to get asked or conversations versus those different pieces I would imagine that even though there are those different pieces that like the core part of who you are and like who you are as a person and your heart and what's important to you is the same across but you're just being really smart in the way that you look after yourself so is being smart authentic though because, okay, yeah. I'm going to put this to you here. Sure. And this, this one opened up a can of worms, and I just want to make sure, because you said that you're authentic. Yeah. Who you are on social media is who you are in real life. I'm going to, I'm going to pose a hypothetical question. Yes. Um, I'm assuming not married? Correct. Okay. Uh, future husband and yours. Mm-hmm. In a rural part of this province. Mm-hmm a more socially conservative part of this province, Mm -hmm. would you walk down hand-in-hand down the main street in a rural part of this province with your husband? I would if it was something that he were comfortable with. If he were not comfortable with it, then I wouldn't. Would you be comfortable with it? I think for me that's an interesting question because I've actually never walked down. I've had one boyfriend that was for about three months and I have never actually walked anywhere holding hands with another guy. I would do it if I were in a relationship, but I know. Okay. Yeah. No, because I just want to know because that's the one thing that I find, uh, I, would, I, 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 I would say gay advocates, but... Uh, gay people in general have a hard time doing, right? Um, I know personally that I was told by a former co-worker that if I was to hold a hand of another man while walking down the street, he would run me over with his truck. <laughs> so that stopped me from doing that right away. So, Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully that person is no longer in your life. <laughs> they aren't. Great. <laughs> so that's good. So no, I just wanted to know because that's always the main 
when we try to be ourselves, we try to be our true selves, how far do you have to be smart about being your true self? And I think it's a little bit harder to be authentic when we're talking about gay people mm-hmm. or the LGBT community in general. Mm-hmm. Because you and I both know, being in the closet, you do, you're not your true self, right? So you learn how to adapt very quickly. So mm-hmm. would you say that, or do you think gay people have it harder to be their authentic selves? Or because we've come out of the closet, quote unquote, come out of the closet, do you think it's easier? So I think both for our community and I think for communities that have been historically marginalized, I think there is a lot of safety factor that's involved. And I think that there are, well, for example, you know, there are certain places that I've traveled to where I'm probably a little bit more aware of like what I'm talking about, you know, at work I can, you know, and I realize I'm using stereotypical things, but, but like, you can be open. Yeah. Right? You don't have at to work. I can be open. I can do the snap. I can be sassy. Um, and like engage in fun conversations like that. And I would most other places too, but I think it's being aware of, you know, when I have been in places that are, you know, exceptionally conservative, just being a bit more aware and it's not that I... And I'm not saying all rural Alberta is like that, no, no, no. because honestly, it's not. It's just from my personal pers- <laughs> uh, history, yeah. I know that someone told me that they would hit me with their truck. <laughs> so so I do, like, yes, I do think it's harder. I think one of the things, you know, for... Um, and I've talked about this before, like if I'm going to a, you know LGBTQ event, you know, I'm going and I'm fully engaged. I've walked in the Pride Parade for years, but I'm always more hyper aware in that setting than I am anywhere else about my environment, who's around me. Is this going to be the day that some person shows up with something and something bad goes down? So I do think that there is, you know, parts of that being authentic where I do think it becomes more of a challenge because in some ways we're also taught um, just by society in general about not being authentic in the beginning, which is probably why now it's so important to me that the vast majority of the time sort of how I am is consistent. And I think with authenticity, it's to breaking it into, you can be really authentic to who you are and what you care about and how you present, but still doing that in a way that I think keeps us like just safe for being aware of surrounding. Okay. Reflection. So this one's this one's a, a interesting concept because uh, I'm assuming what you're trying to get people to do is reflect on what they've done, what they who they are. But I could be completely wrong here. So mm-hmm. looking back on your life so far, um, is there anything you would have changed? I thought about that a lot, and actually that question has been asked to me many times, and the way that I have basically answered that is, there is nothing that I regret that I've done, and if I had to go back and do, you know, a few things over again, would there be changes? Yes, I would come out earlier, Um, because I have been very fortunate and that everyone I've come out to, from my family to my friends, the response was like, huh, cool. 
or my best friends like well duh or different <laughs> things like that oh um, I remember those comments so I'm very I'm very grateful and fortunate that I have amazing parents and family and um, so I think I would have come out sooner and I think I would have um recognized earlier some of the things around anxiety and depression that one I know it took longer because you know it's really only been in the last I would say five or six years we've really seen that significant effort to destigmatize mental health so I think if I could go back I would do both of those things sooner um, but I also think that my story up until now and when I came out and when I started dealing with things, I also think all of that makes me um, a better coach and a better educator. And I think it also, that combined with my coaching training, it also is much easier for me to tell when I'm talking with someone or talking with a client equally what they're not saying to me as much as what they are. Um, and then you add into that, like I've done some training around people's body language and then it's really figuring out. Um, now, now I'm self-conscious about what I've been doing the whole time. No, no, don't worry. I, and to be clear, I don't sit there and automatically do that. <laughs> okay. It's something I have to turn on intentionally. Like the talking about people and what they're great at, not just me 24-7. I was at a Christmas party and someone was talking about wanting to make a career change. And so, of course, I went down the road that I normally went. And then my friend just walks past and deadpans. You can't turn it off, can you? <laughs> no. And kind of that. But yeah, so I think it's the reflection is very much just about... We've been taught to, like, as a society, it's very much about what comes next. So it's like, okay, great, finish high school, go to university, go to college, get married, get a white picket fence, have kids, retire, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with any of that. But it's the, um, it's always taught about what comes next. So what I see a lot is people just finish this, like, you know, amazing thing, like finishing a degree or starting a new job or having this great accomplishment. But rather than sitting in it for a little bit of time, it's just immediately, okay, well, that's done. What comes next? Yeah. And so that reflection piece is huge for me. Now, I will say, um, you know, with the anxiety, part of reflection for me is always I spend a lot of time in my head. That can both be a good or a bad thing, depending. Um, and so I think the reflection do you, do, you, awesome. do you want do we need to have that conversation as a general society that we need to start reflecting on the good things that we've done and not just worry about what's coming next we we got to stop worrying about what's five days ahead because the biggest the biggest issue that my husband has with me is I never sit and just think about what we've done it's right. hey we've got the house okay what's next what's the next step in our life okay we've got we got married we met we got married we got the house we got the job now we got the two dogs. What's yeah. next? What's the, what's what's going? What's going to happen next? And he always says, "You just you have to live in the moment. You can't just start living about the future, right? You have to reflect on what we've done so far." And I, I have a hard time doing that. Yeah. Do you think everyone has a hard time doing that? I think so. And I've been both like um, before I really had my anxiety in check. I spent so much of my time looking at like what comes next, and that was like some a huge hurdle that I had to come over. Most days now, I can sit fairly happily in the "What do I need to do?" day and not that I'm not thinking about future stuff um, but sometimes I found that like my focus is too much on future but I do see that a lot and I think we all do that and I think there is tempering that between knowing where you want to go but also 
and this is going to sound really cliche, but enjoying the ride along the way. So it's being present and enjoying the things that we have. Um, so in my case, it's, you know, enjoying sort of where my life is at the moment and some of the things that might be coming down the pipe, enjoying my evenings with Angus, yourself enjoying your evenings with Ricardo when he's not in warm Hawaiian places. <laughs> I know, don't even know. Um, and sort of things like that. So I would say it's like it's all of this stuff that we're talking about is a balance between, I think, those. So from a work perspective, how do we reflect on our work? Is it think about that big project that we just accomplished, think about the, the job that we have right now, or because when I'm working, I'm always thinking, okay, done this project, what's the next project? Done this project, what's the next project? I forget about the projects that I've just done, but I'm, I'm moving on to the next project because for me, and this is, I think, I think this is where the majority of the issue around reflection comes from, is you can't live in the past, right? You can't change what's already been done. Mm-hmm. Once it's done, it's over with. So, how do we, how do we not think that way? Because for me, there's no way that I can change what's happened 20 years ago, right? Right. Unless they invent a time machine tomorrow. I ain't going back to when I was 13 and telling me, okay, you should go ask that girl out again because that was the smart thing to do. Okay. Fair <laughs> point. Although, side note, humans should never have the ability to travel on time. There you go. Star Wars, Star Trek has taught me anything. Don't travel in time. Correct. <laughs> Yeah, so to answer your question, I do think that, and I mean for myself in any event or thing that I work on, there's always sort of the, once it's done, it's assess it, think about it, what worked well, what might we want to change. But then if it's also like, if it's a conference that my team and I are doing, if it is something I'm doing in the community, it is taking that moment of like, you know, that, you know, that new workshop that I put together worked really well. I'm going to take myself out to dinner. Being single, I'm very used to dinners for one, but, um, which I also don't say sarcastically. I enjoy my own time, but, um, I think it's the, yeah, so I think it's that it's being able to, you know, and maybe it's not calling a reflection. Maybe it's keeping a log of some of your big moments throughout a year. And when you sit down for a performance management or performance recognition conversation with a supervisor, taking it from here, all these great things that have happened. And here's how I've seen myself using my strengths, um, which is similar to what I do. And so it's sort of things like that. So there's different ways. And I find too, if I say the word reflection, I know that it has a certain connotation. I will see people roll their eyes, or I'm sure people are very used to being like, oh God, Gareth's asking us to reflect again. <laughs> but it's, so I, I try to find different ways of getting them to do it without saying the word. Do you think it's easier for older generations to do that compared to your students? Based on just be based on who I'm thinking about. No, it's not. It's it's easier for um, students, I think, to reflect than it is for older generations. I think for older generations, they and again, from what I see, it's the reflection for them. I think is more about memories and looking back at particular things that have been significant which is a form of reflection and some of the younger folks that I work with I think reflection becomes more of kind of guided by you know what have I just done what did I learn from it 
and how would I use that going forward? So it's kind of two sides of the same coin, but just a different approach. Okay. And the last out of Spark, K, and I wrote down the first part and I already forgotten it because of our conversation, knowing your values. Values. What are your values? So my top ones are um, love, authenticity, and family. So those are my... So Bav? Sure. Let's go with that. So those are my... Fave. Fave. So those are my three. Um, Many years ago, I had the opportunity to participate in a workshop where basically you started out with about 16 things that you wrote down that constitute values. And if I remember off the top of my head, it was for people that are important to me, for things that I like doing, for things that are central to who I am, and there was another one in there. And then there's this um, person or whoever's facilitating reads through and you go from 16 and you you know are chopping things up, you're ripping up values, you're throwing them out, it's very traumatic. And um, you get to the point where you have um, I think three left or something like that. Um, and I found it was actually, it was much harder for me to come up with 16 and much easier for me when I was getting down to, like if we're going down to the seminal things that I cannot live without, it would be those three. And so that's sort of where the values part. And so I've done that a number of times with uh, students or with clients around and I don't make them rip things up, although I have at some points. But generally, it's more of, here's a list of values. Let's talk about, you know, go through and circle, dog ear, underline every single one that means something to you. And then let's start talking that down. And I see people say that a lot where it's really hard beginning. But when it came down to really thinking, these are the things that are most important to me, it was like, done. So why should people know their value? I think for many of us, well, actually for all of us, we're going to be put into situations where knowing what is the most important to us is integral. And so is the work environment that we're in, is there like not a values congruence, um, a relationship that we're in, do people value the same things? So I think for me, I use my values to order my world around me. And it's really a key part of, um, you know, when I'm working somewhere, and part of the reason I've worked at the University of Calgary for 12 years and that I love working there is it's so everything that we do and everything that we excel in and that I love seeing and love being part of really matches so well to who I am and what I value. Um, you know, and when you're there and you work with an amazing team, it feels like family. I love what I do. Um, everyone that I work with is, you know, so authentic down to who they are. And so I think just being in that. And so it's really looking at then how does that umbrella values for me, if I was thinking about it, it almost becomes the umbrella over the rest of them. Because I think each of them factor into a really important way that somebody is but their values are that core piece and so you know even when I'm working with someone who might be looking for a new job it might be when you're going through the company who's that you want to apply to and you're looking at things like their mission statement or their value statement is that really resonating with you um, and so I think it's sort of looking at that and for some people then it just becomes the exploring of like what actually are the most important things to me so when you're sitting down with groups who have hired Spark to come and uh, teach them, coach them. Um, what's the number one value that you often hear from people, from groups? Hmm. 
Would it be authenticity? Would it be honesty? Would it be reliability? Because for a work setting, I think reliability would be a number one, that you want to be able to rely on someone to do their job, right? Mm -hmm. But I I could be wrong, so that's why I'm putting it to you. (laughs) The ones I've seen have been responsibility, relationships. Those two come up quite often. And why do you think that is in a work setting? Or non-profit setting. Relationships, I think, is because inherently we crave to be around people that are interesting and engaged and who we like learning more about and learning their stories. And I think responsibility is about, I think, on a much larger level, that responsibility of through which you can make impact would be what I would see quite often. If I think about the, you know, types of things that come up in conversations, if I think about um, world cafe type activities that I do or big sheets of paper across the room or listening to people talk about their strengths, I see a lot of those similar threads come through. Okay. So, Spark in general, where does it go from here? That's a good question. Because you you do the training with the groups. Where does it go? Do you come back in a few weeks, a month, a year? Or do you hope that they've learned everything that they can? So with Spark so far, there hasn't been sort of any, I would say, return clients. And that's partly because the way I design the workshops is really that... um, one-off, I think, and a lot more of what I do at the university and my work that way. There's certainly more about, I get to see that grow through different levels. But in Spark specifically, I would say that most of the most of what I've done so far has certainly been around more of that team building or learning about strengths, and it's sort of that gateway point. Um, and then there's a couple that we've talked about, like what comes as next steps, or could there be coaching involved, or things like that. Um, and I think it's so, you know, and eventually, you know, I kind of see Spark expanding and being able to do other things with it. But at the moment, I'm quite content with um, sort of the my full-time job during the day and then Spark um, sort of contracts here and there when I have the chance. When you leave, what's the biggest thing that people tell you? Thank you for coming because I, I, I need to, I needed this because of X or I needed you to come here to show us this. The things I hear most are, that was really fun. I didn't know those things about my coworkers. I understand them on a completely different level. I love talking about my strengths. I can't remember the last time that I got to have a period of time to sit there and reflect about myself, talk about myself, um, and also just like giving pause for reflection. Those tend to be the things that I hear most often. And perfect world. 10 years from now, what's Spark like? Is Are you doing it full-time? I think 10 years from now, it would be really cool to, yes, have Spark is full-time, be working um, with different groups across Canada. Um, again, as I mentioned, I have dual citizenship in the UK, so I've also thought about taking um, it across the pond and being able to have a bit of a corridor between the two countries. And I think... 
I would see, yeah. So I'd always see whether it's full-time or part-time because um, I'm also pursuing or, well, have applied to um, do my education doctorate at the moment as well. Wow. And so, and, and, and like, you know, I, I like having a lot of things that are going on, but I promise you I am very efficient at relaxing. <laughs> okay, good. Well, it sounds like if you Disney, yeah. <laughs> proficient. Um, there's one ter- area that we didn't talk about, and I want to make sure that we do get it in here because we're, we're, we're past the one hour mark. Okay. Um, the Cliff... Clifton Strikes. Clifton Strikes. So it's a gentleman. Talk me through this a little bit more because I've never heard of it before and I read, I saw it and I was like, I, I need to know what this is. Absolutely. So uh, Jim Clifton, after World War II, came back and um, at the moment I'm forgetting which university he went to. To Canada, though. Uh, no, to the U.S. Sorry. Okay. And so he came back from World War II and... Um, in higher education, there was a huge movement after World War II about setting up Office of um, Veterans Supports at a lot of universities. And so Jim Clifton took psychology and he went to the library and he asked um, a librarian, um, so here are all the psychology books about what's wrong with people, where is the psychology books that talk about what what is right with them? And there weren't any, so basically oh. he became um, what's considered one of the fathers of positive psychology. Now, I'm going to make a sweeping generalization, and that psychology as a field um, is about understanding, diagnosing, and fixing. Okay, I thought you were going to go through like the whole Tom Cruise route here, so nope. I'm very glad you didn't do that. Or as positive psychology is really focused on um, what are the things that are best about ourselves. And so then essentially from the 1950s into the 2000s, Jim Clifton and Gallup did research all over the world, so um, in most countries, most different types of professions, people at every level of those professions and what came back from that was that humans in general identify about 400 recurring themes as what it means to us to have strengths those were given over to what we're told in our training we're a very excited group of analysts and then over another few years the 400 came down into 34 so each of those so it's 34 different strengths we each have a top five combination a top 10 and a full 34 and essentially in the, like in a, a rank order. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the assessment itself, or inventory as I like to call it, is 180 questions where you are asked to choose basically um, one or the other. And so it sort of tests different, I shouldn't say tests, it just looks at our different preferences. So that four of my five strengths are relationship building is a surprise to no one, for example. And what you get is something called a strengths insight guide, which is your top five strengths in very individualized language. So there is a one in 33 million chance that you or I will ever meet what I call your strengths doppelganger. So you will probably, we will never find anyone else in our lifetime who has our five strengths in the same rank order. And even the written descriptions are completely unique. So I could be in a room full of hundreds of people that have individualization like I do, but none of us would have the same written descriptions because it's so uniquely tailored based on what comes before and after. And then, you know, there's tons of stuff on strengths and entrepreneurship, leadership, on being a manager and using strengths and environments. Um, And so it's really this sort of really large movement, I would call it, that comes from Gallup and just general positive psych in general. 
So how do people get a hold of you? Because that sounds like an amazing thing. Do you administer the test as well? I do. So I'm a Gallup certified strengths coach. Okay. Um, and I'm able to use that both in the work I do at the university, but also um, in through, my own... Through Spark. Through Spark. And um, so, yeah, I would say... It is probably of all the things that I have done in my career, it is the thing, one of the things that I am most passionate about. And of all the things that I've done, it is the the thing I've seen probably have the most impact in people's confidence in and perception of themselves. So if people are interested in um, finding out more, they can go to whatsyourspark.ca. We'll link it in the show notes. Thank you. Or email (laughs) Gareth at whatsyourspark.ca. We'll link it in the show notes as well. Thank you. And yes, I mean, and the thing is, like I said, I love learning people's stories and I love talking with them about the things they're great at. There are different versions of Clifton Strengths. So there's one called, um, oh goodness, Strengths Explorer, which is more for ages 8 to 14. Um, And so that one is usually a top 3 out of 10. So those can be really good ways for... Um, students to learn more about the way they learn, the way they study best, things that parents or students can share with their teachers. And then Clifton Strengths for students or Clifton Strengths would be then pretty much like 14 onwards. And then it's as the one I was talking about. But there's so many different applicability points to it. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me. I feel me. like we just scratched the surface of this, and I would love to have you come back on for a future Great. episode. Sure. Uh, thank again, again. Thank you very much because like, you probably have a dog that's probably wanting to go outside. Like my two dogs are screaming right now. <laughs> it's okay. He's being looked after by Grandma and Grandpa. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Gareth, thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, and thank you for doing this podcast. And once again, thank you to our guests for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week.